If you have a Bible, we're in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. If you don't, or if you have an app and it takes a while to load, it'll be on the screen uh, for you. Uh, we've been talking uh, through the Gospel of Matthew, which the Gospel of Matthew, written by a guy named Matthew who knew Jesus personally. Uh, it's a story of Jesus' life with the idea that you understand that Jesus is king. It's the King Jesus Gospel, all right? And uh, what that, that presentation is that Jesus is the ruler overall. He is the king. And so it talks a lot about this kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Matthew's written to primarily a Jewish audience, and they wouldn't use the word God in normal language with the, because they're scared of using it in vain uh, or careful not to use it in vain. Um, and so they, Matthew uses the word kingdom of heaven, and it, it means basically the same thing. It doesn't mean heaven someday that we're going to. When Jesus came to earth in, in the Gospel of Matthew, the way it's presented, it's not presented as, hold on, and when you die, it'll be better. Uh, it's presented as, this life currently, in this area, in this space, can be transformed and renewed and experienced relationship and presence of God in this life. Uh, so as we're reading this, we're reading through a section in Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus is giving some teachings in parables about the kingdom of heaven. The parables are like, we would call them fables or stories with a moral. Uh, they're stories that Jesus tells where he's like, this is what it's like. And he uses a metaphor to express the truth uh, so that we can understand it in our in common everyday language. All right. So we're going to read verse 44, 45, and 46. Jesus gives two parables that are almost identical, but they're completely opposite today, uh, which would be what Jesus would do. So we'll read through this together and then talk through it a bit and end up uh, hearing from Jesus. Verse 44, Jesus teaches this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Two parables in, that are farming parables that talk about treasure being buried in a field. The banking system in Jesus' day was not exactly ethical. Some things don't change, and they, uh, <laughs> so, that was so cheap, was, uh, but, um, but they're, uh, the, instead of putting money in banks, people would dig holes and bury it, all right? Now we put these people on TV shows, um, <laughs> preppers and things like that, but, uh, so people would bury uh, their treasure in a field because that was safer than leaving it in some kind of a weird bank, uh, or the early whatever they had as far as money changer systems going on that would charge them. So you would just dig a hole and put your stuff in it, put your uh, treasure in that, and you wouldn't tell anyone where it was. And in the first story, uh, this man, the kingdom of heaven, is like a treasure hidden in a field, which would be common. People would understand that. Okay, so the kingdom has some kind of value. And then a man finds it, and he covers it back up, and then in joy goes and sells everything that he has so that he can buy that field. If you can imagine what this experience is like, we make movies about this stuff. You accidentally find something in a field, and you can't just take it, that's stealing. But if, that, if you bought that field, then you own everything buried in it. 
then you can have that. And the, the ethics of this start to be a little questionable. Like, did he tell them that he found treasure in it before he bought it? Uh, but the, the point of the story isn't an ethics question. The point of the story is that the man found something, something which became more valuable than everything that he had ever had, where he sells everything he has, and then he's able to obtain that one thing that he wants more than anything. So the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. And in this story, the kingdom of heaven is treasure. It is this thing that is incredibly desirable. It is this thing that everyone would want if they could find it. And when this man finds the kingdom of heaven, and so that we understand this, the kingdom of heaven is the place where God's rule and reign exists. The kingdom of heaven is where God's authority is the authority. Where the, what we dream of heaven being, that is when it's found here on this earth. This is why the Lord's Prayer looks, says those exact words. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. This is the desire of Jesus and the desire of his followers. And so this kingdom of heaven, when it is in existing in us, it is when Jesus is Savior and Lord over our lives. So he's in command of us. Then you are a part of the kingdom of heaven. And you are an agent of the kingdom of heaven. And so this man is, finds this treasure. And if you can think back, maybe, maybe this has never happened to you, but maybe for some of us here it has when you found out about Jesus' love for you for the very first time, or found out that you can have a relationship with God for the very first time, it's life-changing. It's a game-changer. Uh, some people are raised in the church, and, or maybe you're exposed to this at an early age, and so maybe there are multiple experiences that you had uh, as you went through different, uh, you know, your, your understanding changes and you grow and you mature. But if for all of us, uh, who follow Jesus, well, I'm, not all, I'm not saying all of us here do, but for all here who do, at one point you didn't comprehend or obtain the, the treasure, and at another point you did. And this man, when he obtains the treasure, he sells everything he has, which sounds easy because life then, they didn't have all the cool stuff we have now. Like, he didn't have to sell his Xbox, or his fancy car, or his big truck, or his cool jeans. You know, they didn't have that. Uh, their life wasn't quite as awesome as ours. <laughs> and so, when we look at him selling everything he has, we go, oh, that's easy, because I'd sell everything he had. No flushing toilet? Yeah, I'd sell that, you know, for the kingdom of God. But we have so much stuff. Um, this is why the Bible talks about it's incredibly difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. When you think rich, you have someone richer than you that comes to mind. But when the people heard Jesus speaking, you are the people that came to mind. We are the people that came to mind. When Jesus is speaking to people who go to a well and put their bucket down it and yank the water out, and you turn on your tap with a filter and it comes out cold, you're rich, all right? Like you're loaded. You go back to Jesus' time in your TARDIS and he would be amazed, all right? If you were here last week, you probably got to do that. Um, if you weren't, that was just an awkward little sentence. Uh, but there's this joy that overwhelms the man when he finds the treasure. 
he enjoys giving up everything that he has so that he can have this other thing. For us, that creates an incredible amount of conflict. Give up everything so you can have this one thing. Because we have a lot of things. And maybe it's not even material things. Maybe you don't have material things. But you have things like opportunities. Things like hope. Things like dreams. You have things like abilities. Things that you're good at. You have relationships. And this man takes everything that he has and is willing to part with it for this other thing. And he experiences joy in that. The joy of the kingdom costing you everything. When we say that obtaining the kingdom of God will cost you everything, because we're a consumer-driven society, that sounds like a bad deal. If you saw a commercial and it said, have a relationship with Jesus, it will cost you everything. Right? That, com you know, that commercial is not getting a lot of views on the old YouTube. People aren't into that. We go so far as to explain that Jesus is a free gift. Oh, free? I like free stuff. If we shot t-shirts out of cannons here, people would go crazy. Right? You pay $900 for a ticket to the game and they shoot a $4 cannon, or a $4 t-shirt of a cannon, and people are foaming at the mouth because it's free, right? But what Jesus says is if you want to participate, it actually costs you everything. It is free to you, but you have to get rid of everything. It doesn't mean you can buy your way into heaven. It doesn't mean you need to earn your way or do enough stuff or be good enough in order to get into heaven. It's actually, when you read, Jesus actually talks to other parts about how you have to hate your own mother and father, hate your own life, hate your own you know, whatever your own plans are. Jesus talks about you can't, you have to let someone else do your father's funeral. You need to follow me. That is all secondary, I am primary. And Jesus actually, like, there's, we have these other things going on in our life, but if we try to hold on to something else, we end up not being able to hold on to Jesus. Jesus plus anything ends up equaling nothing. Like, I have Jesus, but I also have this over here. Or I have Jesus, but uh, he, if he asks me to give up this, it's a deal breaker. Then it's already a deal breaker. Because following Jesus actually requires joy in parting with the stuff that we have. This is why the Bible talks about when we give, we, God loves a cheerful giver. He commands you to be happy. Like when we pass the offering buckets, it's like, yes! I know of one church that actually cheers. It sounds kind of weird, but they say, uh, they call them joy buckets, and you receive joy by putting your money in the buckets. It's just kind of a weird thing to be commanded to be happy. It's like when you command your kids to apologize, and it's so authentic, <laughs> right? When God commands us, or God, Jesus just shows us, obtaining the kingdom of heaven will actually cost you everything. And it's going to be the best thing you ever did. 
It's going to be the best experience of your life. Like you will be so joyous that you gave up everything in order to have the kingdom of heaven or in order to have Jesus. That is what will actually give you joy. That's an incredibly difficult thing for us to actually process, isn't it? Because if we don't have this joy, if we're thinking, well, I am a Christian, but sometimes it sucks because I like this over here, the problem isn't more effort. The problem isn't uh, working out a system to make it work. The problem, at the end of the day, is, is your belief. That you don't believe that the kingdom of heaven is as valuable as it actually is. Isn't that, a, isn't that a way harsher thing than just try harder? Trying harder actually will make it more difficult for you. But if you're not, ex like, if you have a problem, if you think following Jesus is less joy in your life, the problem isn't Jesus. The problem is your understanding, your knowledge, your belief, your faith in Jesus. Your found purpose in living, being found in Jesus. In Jesus, joy exists. Giving up everything. In Jesus plus something that we hold on to, misery exists. It may look like joy, it may look like happiness, but trying to hold on to both, you end up with feelings of guilt, you end up with inadequacy, you end up with all these negative feelings and negative experiences as you try to do this incredibly valuable treasure found in a field and you try to hold on to the things that you have around you as well. Here's what I think it looks like practically. You can see this. Um, as, if you watch, uh, well, I know you do because they're Bourne movies, but Bourne number two, uh, the, one of the main CIA guys is being quizzed by Pamela Landy, who's the youngest. I'm assuming I can just use their first names because you all watch these movies on a regular basis. Uh, my kids actually watch the Bourne movies, all of them. I'm not sure that's good parenting, but like Jason Bourne is basically, uh, they don't know who Matt Damon is. It's Jason Bourne, all right? Um, and why in number four there's a new Jason Bourne, I don't know. But when he's talking, he's talking about his life with the CIA and he works as a spook and stuff like that. He actually talks about, I've given 35 years and two marriages to this organization. It's, an, it's a haunting line because he talks about how he's given up his own life for this CIA organization. As, as a, He's some kind of spook that does things that we don't want to know. We see that, though, in more than just... We see that all the time. We see artists and musicians who give up everything in order to be good at their art. Athletes who can't hold together their marriage, who can't hold together their relationships, who end up being terrible parents because they're dedicated to their sport. And they maybe reach the pinnacle of their sport. They play on TV and stuff and... And it's amazing, but behind the scenes, they're terrible people. Some people dedicate their lives uh, to a spouse, whether they have one or not. They, everything about it is oriented towards that, and everything else is going to suffer because this is what I'm putting my life into, or my career, or maybe my research, or maybe my job, or maybe 
my grades. And it becomes this thing that I'm willing to sell everything for. And we experience this weird success in this one area. And the, the reason that that's fascinating to us is because it is this twisted version of what the gospel is. Because that's what following Jesus is. If you follow Jesus, you will naturally not be as good at some other things because of the effort and the focus and the purpose that you have in your life of following Jesus. And the difference between following Jesus in your career or your grades or your spouse or your sport or your art or anything else is that in Jesus you find joy, in everything else you find that it's eventually emptiness. In Jesus, all the things around you are affected with life. In all these other things, all the things around you are affected with death. The worst example is someone who is a pastor or a professional Christian. Being a religious leader in our culture is like, it's always on the top ten list as far as risk for your family. Like your family will fall apart because and now I'm preaching to myself for a minute so you can ignore this, but <laughs> you start to identify yourself as being important and identify yourself as a Christian and a professional good at it Christian. And like, if I'm not good at it, no one's going to be good at it. And you start getting mad at your kids because they need to behave in a certain way at their church and stuff like that. Someone once told my kid not to run in their church because they're the pastor's kid. I nearly punched that person, but they were female, so I couldn't. <laughs> but you just, you have this weird pressure and this weird experience, and then you begin to believe it. And so it's not like I'm saying you at your job, or you at your sport, or you at your art. I think that people in my vocation or my calling are incredibly susceptible to this. Uh, we're part of a denomination that belongs to a holiness movement, which was began by a guy named John Wesley. All right, incredible theologian, incredibly passionate about evangelism. And his marriage was, uh, was kind of like uh, a war. Uh, they would regularly have physical fights out in public. And he was the religious leader. Like, and, and in our culture, we're like, that's so strange. But for them, they were like, well, he's, but this is what it, and everything else can suffer. He was a bad t-ball coach. <laughs> there was no t-ball, but, you know, you can end up really amazing at something and not re including really amazing at looking like a Christian and end up all around you, everything is suffering and everything is falling apart. But if you give everything for Jesus, you experience joy and everything around you experiences the blessing of being singularly focused on Jesus. It's not about effort. It's not about trying harder. It's just about and it being able to actually follow Jesus. Then Jesus flips the script. He actually takes the almost the exact same parable and turns it around backwards. Where the kingdom of heaven is the treasure in the first one, and this, the man finding something in the field would be people who happen upon or who find the kingdom of heaven. In the second... It says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. 
So it's somebody who's actually looking for them. And then finding one pearl, and it, the Bible would actually mean like one specific pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So in the first example, the kingdom of heaven is the treasure. In the second example, the kingdom of heaven is the merchant who's looking for the treasure. Same story, but backwards. See, this merchant in this story would represent the one who is looking for that which is value to add it to himself. So the kingdom of heaven is actively looking for things of great value to add to itself. The treasure in this, whereas last time we were the ones, we would find ourselves in the story as the ones who found the treasure, in this one we find ourselves in the story as the treasure. And there's this merchant who's looking actively, trying to find this treasure of great value. And the treasure of great value happens to be you and happens to be I, me. <laughs> that was so awesome until I said it. Um, and Jesus, as the merchant, is willing to go and sell all that he had to buy it. Just like the man who finds it, Jesus is willing to give up everything in order to have you or have me. If you know the Bible, this is referencing Jesus' actual, like his obedience to God through his death on the cross, his actual physical burial, like his body was dead, not just passed out, not just in a coma, but dead, and his resurrection. Where Jesus actually, where Jesus is right now, standing in heaven next to God, or sitting in heaven next to God, leaves that. That's giving up everything in order to create a relationship or a way for us to have relationship with God. It kind of puts what we give up in a little bit of perspective. You're giving up what? <laughs> You're giving up very, very little compared to a throne seat in heaven so that you can have relationship with God. Jesus actually gave his life. And it talks about when he was on the cross, he actually took the sin of the world upon himself. His words are, Father, why have you forsaken me? And there's a separation that exists in the Trinity, in the Godhead, between Jesus and God the Father. And Jesus experiences what it is to bear the weight of our sin to bear the weight of the sin of the world in all history, Jesus gives up his place, his rightful place, where he belongs in order for that to happen, in order for him to obtain us. That tells us something about Jesus, and it tells us something about us. Some of you might might be the first time you heard this this week, or the first time you thought about this in a long time, but you are so valuable that you are worth this. This death on the cross by Jesus 
is an adequate price to be paid because of who you are. Because in this story, you are the treasure. In our world, there's a lot of different stories that are told about what you're worth, right? And your worth is judged on your performance or your looks or your grades or your art or whatever your output is. Or it's judged by your relational IQ or your emotional abilities. And in Jesus' economy, that all disappears and you have incredible worth because of who you are. If it was hard to think about giving up everything for Jesus, I think it might be just as hard to think about being worth having everything given up for us. Like you as an individual. And you think about your life or my life. Like my life is not so impressive that somebody else should die so that my life can be my life. Like I'm, 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 I'm imagining you're with me in this. We're not such a big deal that we would imagine that God should actually die for us. I don't feel that. I don't wake up in the morning and have my first thoughts be, I'm probably pretty much as awesome as it gets. And yet Jesus goes looking and finds you and finds me and says, this is probably pretty much as awesome as it gets. He looks at you and he sees the most valuable thing that he could possibly imagine. In your life and my life, we look at it, it's pretty much a big long line of screw-ups, of, of missing the point, of not quite being what we wished we would be, or looking the way we wish we would look, or performing and our output and our work or our art or our sport or our career is just not quite what we thought it would be. And Jesus goes, that's pretty much, like I think this, this is worth everything. And Jesus looks at you and he climbs up on that cross and he gives his life because you're worth it. And then we turn around and experience this incredible amount of joy because we give up everything in order to have relationship with the God who values us more than anything in the world. Do you see that? So our joy doesn't come from our ability to perform. Our joy comes because of who we are and the truth of that being expressed in the price that God paid for us. Jesus' death on the cross isn't just something to provide for your sins so that you can go to heaven someday. It's so that you understand what you're worth. It's so that you understand no matter what our culture says about who you are or what somebody around you or maybe you had a parent or a friend or a child or a spouse who said something about you and it stuck and you define yourself by that, Jesus dies on the cross so that he can define what you're worth and who you are and what you are. You are this thing, this person of such incredible value that Jesus goes out 
and sells everything that he has so that he can have you. And we turn around and sell everything that we can, everything that we have, because it just makes sense when we understand who Jesus is. When you find that person, if you do, in your life, who will give up everything or give up anything for you, isn't your natural reaction wanting to give up everything for them? This is, this is like the basic one, two, three, how to know who to marry. If someone's willing to give up things for you and you respond, I'd like to give up things for them, because that's what marriage is. <laughs> it's orienting yourself towards someone else. And that's why when we read the Bible, the relationship between Jesus and the church culminates in a wedding feast. Because Jesus wants nothing more than you. And because of that, you naturally want nothing more than him. And so at the end of the day, I hope I do good at my work. I hope I'm a good dad. I hope I'm an adequate husband. <laughs> I hope sometimes I can preach a sermon that makes some sense. Hopefully this one. <laughs> and then next week we'll pray for next week. But really, we just kind of are floundering around and trying our best at things. And that has nothing to do with what we're worth. Because my worth could not be more. You could not overestimate it. You cannot overpay for who I am. Because my worth has been defined when Christ gave his life on the cross. Some of you, maybe you never heard this explained like this. Maybe you came today and, and some of you have been here a lot. But some of you, you might think that Christianity is something where we all follow rules so that we feel better about ourselves, kind of a superstitious thing. And what I want, well, hopefully you understand that what we believe our relationship with Jesus is, it's really just a response to the love that God has for us and a belief about who God is that affects our belief about who we are. And if you've never responded to Jesus or never thought maybe I'd like to actually believe what Jesus says about me instead of believing what everything else says about me, today would be a good day to start that. It will cost you everything. Hopefully. Because that's the only way you can actually follow him. Everything else is subject to his rule. If you, it doesn't mean you quit your job tomorrow. It doesn't mean you quit your sport or your art. But it means that now is subject to Jesus' rule. And I can tell you from experience, and many people in this room can tell you, that you'll experience a joy that is unequaled that you've never experienced before. Not because of something you do, but because of a realization of who you are because you realize who God is. Some of us have been following God for a long time, years and decades, and we still struggle with understanding the price that was paid for us and living in light of that. And I don't mean living a life worthy of it, right? We're not talking about 
earning back Jesus' favor or making Jesus' sacrifice worth it because we do a good job. Jesus' sacrifice is worth it because of who you are. And when we do a good job or when we put effort into our lives, it's actually with gratitude as an offering to God, not to settle the score or even our account with God. Because you can never give up enough to even come close to the sacrifice that Jesus gave because you're worth too much. You have this incredible value and because of that incredible value you experience an incredible amount of joy because you know God loves you and will give up everything for you. He has given up everything for you just to be your friend just to be in a relationship with you. So if you've never experienced that, I want to encourage you today to start experiencing that, to start living this way, believing what is actually true about God and then actually true about you. And for a lot of us, maybe this needs to be a reboot Sunday where we back up and say, God, when I looked at my life this week, I just thought it was a disaster. And I thought I'm really messing this up and there's no way that God can be impressed with this. And realizing that it isn't about that, it's about us and our price has already been defined, our cost has already been defined. And in turn, everything in our lives becomes subject to him. I want to pray that way for us and then we're going to worship um, God together. And if you want to pray with me, that'd be great. Lord, all across this room, we are just regular people. And we don't think that we're anything special. We don't think we're worth anything much. I certainly don't feel like I'm worth what has been paid for me. Like I'm some treasure or some valuable thing. And yet it has been paid and so it is true. And so I want to ask that you would help us at whatever level we're at to live as we actually are. Like to live lives as incredibly valuable treasure that Jesus you want, God you want more than anything in the world, more than your own self. And allow us to live in that joy, that joy of being the most desired thing by God in the universe. And from that joy, we live for you. We give up everything for you. We worship you. And we seek your kingdom here in this world. By your grace.